you pray with me? Father, we have just sung of our deep neediness, but your grace is deeper still. We thank you that you are the God of grace, of all grace, who meets us in our every need to supply our every need. You have demonstrated your willingness and ability to do that in and through your son Jesus who met our greatest need by taking our place on the cross, paying the price for our sins in full. Thank you for grace. Thank you for Jesus. Oh, how desperately we need you even now to hear your word well and for me to speak your word well. So work in our hearts. Give us eyes to see Jesus. Give us hearts to love Jesus. Give us hands and feet to obey Jesus. And give us knees to bow before Jesus. And may we walk out of this room this morning thinking higher thoughts of Jesus and having fallen deeper in love with Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, team, for leading us this morning. It is always a joy and a privilege to sing with you and to hear you singing to the glory and praise of our great God. I invite you to open your copies of the Scriptures this morning to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1, that's Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you, you'll find a Bible there near you in the seat back of the pew in front of you. It's page 262 in that copy of the church Bible this morning. And as you're finding your place there in Ruth 1, just a couple of introductory comments this morning. First of all, I'd like to say a special congratulations to our school's Bible quiz team who competed yesterday out just outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. They didn't win first or second place, but hey, that's okay. They have hidden God's Word in their hearts. And that is a much more enduring reward, and they did so well. So team, teams, I should say, you are to be commended, and we pray for you, and we thank God for you. Secondly, today, you may not realize it, but today is a special day. Today is what um, uh, the Right for Life movement has set aside as Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. How many of you have heard of that before? Sanctity of Human Life Sunday? That's today. It's the third Sunday of January each and every year. And so I want to take just a moment here at the beginning to, to unapologetically and unashamedly say that we as a church stand for the right of every unborn baby to live. And we stand alongside every mother, whatever her situation, whatever her circumstances, we stand in the gap with her and support her in her choice to let her baby experience the God-given opportunity to live because that baby and that mother are both created in their God's image. They both bear the image and the mark of their Creator. So I just want to make that clear this morning that we as a church believe that life begins at conception and that God is the author of life, that God is involved intimately 
in the creation of that life. But also, this morning, I want to make it clear that every one of us in this room bears the image of God. And so each of you is to be loved and cared for and cherished and supported as a creation of God. And that's the point of this morning's message from Ruth chapter 1. It's a beautiful love story that begins in difficulty from which God will bring deliverance. It begins with life's deepest hurts, which God will overwhelm with the highest hope. It begins in the ruins of despair, from which God will bring the delight of redemption. So before we read Ruth chapter 1, I just want to say that several of you after last week's message commented to me saying, Pastor Ken, you neglected to tell us who the author of Ruth's story is. Who wrote it down for us so that we have it still this morning? And so I want you to know that I am going to answer that question next Sunday. (laughs) Seriously, next Sunday. I had you on the edge of your seats there. I love that. You were all waiting with bated breath So you can just hold your breath till next Sunday morning. Not really, all right? Don't try that. Next Sunday morning, I'll answer that question. I just don't have the time to answer that this morning. But I do want to go back, and even though we covered verses 1 through 5 last week, I want to go back because many of you weren't here due to the extreme cold last Sunday morning that's kind of held on to this Sunday morning a little bit, right? But many of you weren't here, so I want to bring you up to speed a little bit, set the context, and go back to the beginning of Ruth's story And then this morning I'll begin preaching from verse 6. Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. And then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. And so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah, back to Bethlehem. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of your husband. And then she kissed them. And they lifted up their voices, and they wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And then they lifted up their voices and wept again. 
And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord Jehovah God do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. This is the word of our God. And this morning, I want to begin by asking you a question. A question that should jump off the page from this text. Are you still amazed by God's amazing grace? Are you still blown away like John Newton in 1772 when the former slave trader become Jesus' follower wrote the following words to my favorite hymn, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. God's grace really is amazing. Is it still amazing to you? Let's be a people who are so amazed by his grace that we're left speechless like Naomi is right here at the conclusion of verse 18 when her daughter-in-law will not turn back to home but will accompany her back to her home in Bethlehem. It's the big idea that God's grace shows up in the most amazing and surprising ways. Ways that we can overlook. Ways that we can chalk up to coincidence or fate or luck or chance. Because so often God's grace is hiding in plain sight. Like just a week and a half or so ago, during that snowstorm, when my snowblower refused to start. And so I began to clear the driveway and the sidewalks the old-fashioned way. Young people, that's with a shovel. And because the meteorologists were calling that snowstorm, if you remember, a heart attack snowstorm, every 15 minutes Joanna would come out to check on me. And about halfway through, I thought it might be funny for me to lie down in the snow <laughs> with my shovel sticking straight up in the air. I didn't do that. But as I was finishing, the snowplow came by a second time and left that three-foot pile of snow at the end of our driveway. I thought to myself, Lord, bless that snowplow driver. <laughs> Hold on, I'm not done yet. Lord, bless the snowplow driver if he will take the time to come back and remove that three-foot pile, which of course did not happen. So right then and right there, I whispered a second quick prayer. Lord, if you aren't going to bless the heartless snowplower, then please bless the broken snowblower. And it started up. You know, we can laugh about that. But let's just be honest this morning. There are many moments that aren't laughing moments. 
where evidences of God's grace come from unexpected people in unexpected places doing unexpected things. Like when God brings just the right person at just the right time into just the right life, your life, to walk with you through an unplanned pregnancy or through a miscarriage or through a divorce. Like when someone who's been a stranger to you suddenly becomes a close friend with you as they walk with you through your cancer journey or the loss of your spouse. That's this scene in Ruth 1. It's God loving Naomi with a love that will not let her go, but will meet her in her need to meet her every need in the most unexpected ways. Listen, this morning as a child of God by faith in Jesus, you may find yourself right here with Naomi in the ditch of despair where it seems like the whole world is stacked against you and that God is not for you. But in this scene, we learn that God loves us with a love that will not let us go. His grace is always with us, showing up in the most unexpected ways, which for Naomi begins with God showing her grace in an unexpected place. Because by the time we reach verse 6, we have to remember that Naomi is not in Israel. She's not in Bethlehem. She's not in God's promised land where God promised to provide for his people and protect his people. She's off in Moab. Remember that she and her husband Elimelech and their two sons, Malon and Kilion, left Bethlehem for Moab in the middle of a famine. And during their 10 years stay in Moab, Elimelech dies. And after Malon and Kilion marry Moabite women, Malon and Kilion die as well. And they die before they can leave any grandchildren for Naomi who will carry on that family name and that family line. And as I said last week, in ancient Israel, this is the curse of all curses, that your family line would come to a dead end with you. The only family Naomi has left are her two Moabite daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. It all looks so hopeless so quickly. And Naomi is feeling helpless so understandably. But here's where her story begins to take a turn. In verse 6. When God's grace shows up in an unexpected place. Naomi, notice, is out in the fields of Moab. So what is she doing there? She is working in the fields of Moab to put food on the table when she suddenly hears the news. We don't know where she hears the news or how she hears the news. We don't know whether it comes from Ruth or Orpah or for someone, from someone else. All we know is that it's out in the fields of Moab where Naomi hears that the Lord has visited his people back in Judah, back in Bethlehem, and given them food. Now, We can fly right by that like it's not a big deal, but it is. Because we have to remember that during Naomi's days, news does not travel quickly. Especially when the trip from Bethlehem to where she is in Moab is a 50-mile trek through rugged terrain that would have taken up to 10 days on foot. Now think about that. Somehow, some way, word gets from Bethlehem to Moab that there is food in Bethlehem. It's God's grace showing up in this specific field on this specific day 
so that this specific woman can hear that God has shown his grace in an unexpected place like back in Bethlehem. The place Naomi left in search of food now has food because God has provided his people with food. And so when we head to Jewel or Mariano's or Aldi, wherever you like to shop, and you're stuffing your carts full of food, how often do you thank the one who stocks the shelves? Because it isn't really this stock boy like I was during my senior year of high school at Price Chopper. It's not even the store general manager or the CEO. How often do you think about God stocking the shelves in the supermarket? That's why Jesus prays, Father, give us this day our what? Our daily bread. That's why 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10 says that God supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. And that's why we should always thank God for our bowl of Cheerios. We should always thank God for our freshly squeezed orange juice. Man, there is nothing like it. We should always thank God for those freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. No one should ever walk through a grocery store or supermarket with a deeper sense of gratitude than the Christian because whether it's in the streets of Bethlehem or out in the fields of Moab or in the jewel down on Roselle, God's grace meets us right where we are, wherever we are, to give us everything we need. Philippians 4 verse 19. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And that's true even when we find ourselves where Naomi is right here, in that ditch of despair. For you, it may not be out in the fields working for food. It may be in the hospital room where you receive the worst possible news. It may be in the family room where you're telling your children that their daddy isn't coming home. It may be in the bedroom where you're crying yourself to sleep because your son or daughter is struggling spiritually while they're away at college. And that's when we need to remember the great truth of Deuteronomy 10, verse 14, that behold, look, pay attention to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. There is not one square inch of turf in heaven or on earth where God is not personally and powerfully present to meet you in your need, to give you all the grace you need, even if it's in the fields of Moab where God's grace shows up in an unexpected place and through an unexpected person. Because as soon as Naomi hears that there's bread back in Bethlehem, she sets out for Bethlehem. But notice verse 7. Notice she's not alone. Ruth and Orpah take off with her. Because in that time, in that place, it was customary that even if these girls were not planning on going all the way back to Bethlehem with Naomi, that they would still accompany her at least to the edge of town. It's like what we still do today. Like when our daughter and son-in-law and grandson were here for Christmas, 
And we went through this 15-minute ordeal of goodbyes and hugs and kisses inside the front door. And then we followed them to their, to their car in our driveway and went through another 10-minute ordeal of hugs and kisses and goodbyes. That's Ruth and Orpah here. And probably then when they reach the edge of town, Naomi turns to them and says, Okay, girls, it's far enough. It's time for you to go back home. Each of you should go back to your mom's house and, and may the Lord deal kindly. Now that's an important phrase. You may be thinking, where in the world is Pastor Ken getting grace from this text? Because we didn't see grace in this text. Now listen, that word kindly, I'd ask you to underline or circle it because it's the Hebrew word hesed. And it literally means grace or mercy. May the Lord deal graciously and mercifully with you in the same way that you've dealt graciously and mercifully with the dead, with Malon and Kilion, and with me. The Lord grant you then that you find rest, each of you in the house of a new husband. Because if you were to come with me, you aren't going to find a husband. So goodbye, girls. And then all the ladies do what ladies do. They hug and they kiss and they cry like crazy. Because that's what ladies do, right? And then Ruth and Orpah say, Naomi, listen, you don't understand what we're doing or where we're going. We aren't letting you go home alone. We want to return with you to your people. And Naomi turns to them and she says, I mean it, girls. Go back home. Why, why, would, you, why would you come with me? There's nothing in Bethlehem for you. You're Moabites. No one will marry you. And even if, even if I had a husband tonight and got pregnant tonight with twin boys, you aren't going to wait around to marry them. So girls, don't you see there are no prospects in Bethlehem for you? This is not going to work. Where I'm going, you can't go because where I'm going, you don't belong. Besides, don't you see why you're in this mess? It's because God's hand has gone out against me. And so if you stick with me, all the bad you've had in the past is all you're going to have in the future. Now let's just step back from that statement for a moment and to ask, is, Ru is Naomi right? Is what she has experienced the hand of God. That's a very dark statement. And it's a dark statement because Naomi is still in a very dark place. But in one sense, what Naomi says here is true. And I'm going to talk more about this next week. So that's teaser number two to come back. But this morning, let's just acknowledge that Naomi's tendency is often our tendency. We tend to see God's hand only in the bad. But in this scene, God is highlighting his hand in the good. Even when Naomi cannot see it, 
He is loving her with a love that will not let her go, even when she can't feel it. His grace will not abandon her, and so God won't let something happen. But she's in such a dark place that she doesn't see that grace or feel that grace. And that's why in verse 14, these women fall all over each other again, and they weep with each other again. And listen, I've got to talk about this because this is, this is a romance story, all right? So I've got to bring out the, the, the real emotion here, the, the real pain here. This is real stuff. These ladies really do love each other. I mean, look at the text. Look at verse 14. They lift up their voices and weep. This isn't just little sobs. I mean, this is, ah, okay. Anyway, these ladies are tight. Man, they, they, they love each other. They've done life together. They've experienced so much together. They've gone shopping together. They've worked in the fields together. They've buried Malon and Kilion together. These are real tears born out of real pain, especially when Orpah kisses her mother-in-law goodbye and goes back home. But not Ruth. Ruth will not go home. Ruth will not leave Naomi alone because Ruth will not do what Naomi asks of her. Listen, there are so many times that God shows us his grace by not giving us what we ask for, by not giving us what we want. Maybe God did not give you that promotion at work like you wanted and asked for, but maybe God didn't give you that because that promotion would have come with some big-time stressors that would have negatively impacted your marriage. Maybe God did not let you young people, he did not let you marry that guy or girl you were so madly in love with because that marriage would not have ended well. There are times that God shows grace in not giving us what we ask for because what we ask for isn't what's best for us. God is showing grace to Naomi by not granting the wishes of Naomi. God is not going to let her return to Bethlehem without Ruth because he has big time grace in store for her that he will show to her through Ruth. Even though... Naomi turns to Ruth one final time and says, Look, Ruth, I'm begging you. Follow Orpah, not me. Go back home. It's for your own good. Go back to your people. Go back to your gods. And if we were filming this as a movie... When Naomi says those words, we would zoom in on her face and then immediately pull back. Do you hear what Naomi is really saying? Go back to your home. Go back to your people. Go back to your gods. I don't think Naomi really knows what she's saying. She's not thinking about what she's saying. Like when we're in a dark place, we're in, we're in that ditch of despair. 
And we just say the first thing that pops into our mind. But when Naomi says, go back to your people and your gods, she's really saying it would be better for you to go back to your false gods and end up in hell than to end up in Bethlehem with me. Wow. How could Naomi say this? It's because when we find ourselves in a dark place, so often we aren't thinking clearly because we aren't thinking biblically. Our emotions are talking. And yet we see here that God shows us grace, not only when things are at their worst, but when we are at our worst. When we do stupid stuff and say stupid stuff, God does not strip us of His grace because grace is His unearnable, undeservable, unmeritable favor. It's a gift He gives, not because of who we are or what we do, but in spite of who we are and what we do. God doesn't love us only when we're at our best. He loves us even when we're at our worst. And that doesn't minimize our sin it magnifies His grace. It's Romans 5 verse 8. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And while Naomi is still doing and saying sinful stuff, God is still loving her with a love that will not let her go through a Moabite daughter-in-law who will not let her go. And you can just imagine the intensity of the scene as Ruth literally here clings to Naomi and looks her in the eyes and says some of the most beautiful words in all the Bible. And even though these words are from a daughter-in-law to a mother-in-law, how many of us have heard them at a wedding? But what we need to hear this morning is the grace that's coming through the words of Ruth in the commitment of Ruth when she says, do not insist that I go back home. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. So where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. I will never return to my home or to my people because now your people are my people. And may Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And listen to this. These are the words coming out of a Moabite woman's mouth. God's grace is all over this story. He has just done a work of grace in the heart of Ruth to enable her to say what she is saying. May the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jehovah, Yahweh God, do so to me. And more also, may He take my very life if anything but death parts me from you. Wow. This is the most amazing and surprising grace. It's a surprising and amazing grace that Naomi never sees coming. It's a grace that results in an unexpected outcome because this isn't just Ruth, the daughter-in-law, beautifully expressing her undying loyalty to Naomi. This is Ruth, the Moabite, 
unashamedly confessing her undying faith in and allegiance to God. The God who is showing grace to Naomi in this unexpected place through an unexpected person is writing a story with an unexpected outcome. After 10 years of misery in Moab, God will not leave Naomi without a future and a hope. And Naomi is so blown away that she doesn't know what to say. And so she says nothing at all. You see, God's grace really is so amazing that it should take the words right out of our mouths and leave us speechless. Is that you? Let's apply this to where we live. What does this look like for us? God's amazing, surprising grace. Well, first, let's be amazed at what God and His grace has done for us. You see, for Naomi, it's not just God giving Ruth to her, it's, it's God keeping Ruth with her. Loving her with that love that will not let her go. But what God's grace has done for us is a million times better than this story. Because He has given His Son to us and for us to live among us so that He might die for us. God's grace in Jesus is a million times better than God's grace to Naomi through Ruth. Because Jesus comes to prove that when we place our faith and trust in Him, that God and His love will never let us go. Do you know that love? Have you experienced His grace? John 3, verses 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but will have eternal life. Why? Because God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. You see, God's love chasing you down this morning. His grace coming after you. And He won't take no for an answer. Trust in Him. Turn to Him. You say, but Pastor Ken, you don't know who I am or what I've done or where I've been. Hey, listen. Remember, God doesn't just love us when we're at our best. He loves us even when we're at our worst. That's what grace is. Undeservable, unearnable, unmeritable. That's what makes salvation a gift that he gives, not something that you earn. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. It is not of works, lest anyone should boast. Would you come to him? Would you trust in him? Would you turn to him and say, God, my undying allegiance I give to you. I am turning my back on my people and my gods, and now you are my God, and these are my people. I trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone because Romans 10 verse 9 says that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved, will you? 
And when you come to Jesus by grace alone, through faith alone, then you'll be amazed at what his grace has done for you. And secondly, you can be amazed at what his grace can do through you. You see, when God saves you by his grace, he molds you and shapes you by his grace to become a conduit of his grace to others. That's Ruth with Naomi here. That's their story. It's God's grace working in Ruth to show God's grace through Ruth. That's how God often works. He works His grace in us so that it might flow through us to those around us. Because let's just be honest this morning, we are all Naomi in this story. Everyone in this room is Naomi. We find ourselves in a dark place. We're prone to doubting God, to questioning God, even accusing God because we've been wandering from God. And so each of us needs the people around us in this room to be a Ruth to us, given to us by God. But it's also true that God calls every one of us in this room to be a Ruth to the Naomi's around us in this room to serve one another out of love for one another because we've committed ourselves to one another. And one of the big ways we demonstrate our commitment to God is through a commitment to and an engagement with God's covenant people. God built us just like he built Ruth and Naomi. He built us with a need for relationship, for real relationship, intentional engaging relationship, a through thick and thin relationship within a family of believers like this one. But here's the thing. Developing and cultivating those deep and meaningful relationships doesn't automatically happen, especially in a big gathering like this. Now, it can happen before and after this gathering as we fellowship together and talk with one another and encourage one another, but it really happens in a smaller group setting. It happens when we're gathered around tables eating together on Wednesday nights and then sticking around to study the Bible together afterwards. It happens in our community group ministry where 10 or 12 or 15 of us are gathered in a family room or a dining room together discussing how God's Word personally intersects with our lives it happens in our Sunday school hour, 9.30 Sunday mornings, where we're learning together and interacting together as we hear and read God's Word together. And so as your lead pastor, I wanna, this morning I want to just lovingly nudge you in a direction that will serve you well, not just next week or next month or next year, but every week and every month and every year into eternity. Take a step of faith this morning. Commit to joining a community group. Participate in our Wednesday night midweek at Bethel Ministry. But honestly, the easiest step for you to take is to get to church an hour earlier on the Sunday mornings and join a Sunday school class. There are Naomi's around you who need you to be a Ruth to them they're in desperate need of God's grace to come to them through you. And there are also Ruths around you who are willing to be that conduit of God's grace to you. It's what 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 10 and 11 say. This is what we're called to be. Christ died for us. 
So that whether we're awake or asleep, whether we're living or dead, we might live with him. And so, because of what he's done for us, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And when we are this kind of church, a church that responds to God's grace by being a conduit of God's grace, then we'll be a church where God's grace shows up in the most amazing ways. And like Ruth and Naomi, that grace will lead to an amazing outcome. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. God's grace really is amazing. Amen. Father, thank you for meeting with us this morning through your Spirit and in your word. Thank you for being a great God because there is not one square inch of turf anywhere in this universe or any universe over which you are not personally and powerfully present to move heaven and earth to show your grace to us as your people. Help us to see ourselves in this text as both Naomi and Ruth. But above all, help us to see how the love of Ruth for Naomi points us to the love of Jesus for us and him laying down his life for us. And so may we lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen.